and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking game reviews. Are they useful? What do we look for in a review? How often do we use them when buying a new game? And is hype its own kind of review, kind of like a crowdsourced review? And what are paid reviews all about? We'll talk about all of that. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC. Also, a huge thank you to all our other patrons as well. I noticed I put a couple ands in there. You can have multiple ands in a paragraph, right? That's all fine. Yes. You yeah, can it just more makes it one. harder for me to read. <laughs> <laughs> We're professionals. I only proofread the first half of that paragraph. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. This is the story of my life. I write all the stuff, and you guys just read it cold, like it just brand new. <sighs> I think but that's okay. You're not supposed to start a sentence with "and." You know something? I don't buy into that, obviously, because <laughs> otherwise, it's just a run-on sentence with a lot of commas. No, then you're doing it wrong. That's also wrong. <laughs> you should only have one. Con- just, welcome to grammar talk. <laughs> I know. Well, Okay, but we're going to continue this a little bit. The way you write and the way you speak are different, though. They're very different things. It is. So you are grammatically accurate, but what I just did there is I started this sentence with a but, and that was okay because that's how you people talk, sort of. You guys, you can't give me strange looks. It's a podcast. Nobody else sees these. But we're really good at strange looks. So everyone should come to our live shows. We'll sometime get Fletcher at a live show. And he, How else do I communicate can all like yeah. I tried so hard to be able to like stream our audio and all of that. It's just like everything I tried failed. And I'm very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. There's got to be a way. But There's other podcasts that do it. I know. And I think it's something about YouTube Live. And then they have this, oh, something or other software that goes through and does things and we have a hard enough time making discord work with just the three of us without streaming it again with the facial expressions doesn't help (laughs) i'm sorry i have a bit of a cold on my voice it doesn't hurt it just i I sound weird you don't sound weird you sound just fine that's the thing with me (laughs) <laughs> right, but that's the thing with cold is it kind of like congests the inner ear. So you sound different yeah. to yourself, but everyone else is like, no, you're fine. So if you're nasally congested, this is now we're in the nasal talk, then your voice actually changes. Welcome to I Tabletop just... Game Talk, a podcast about grammar, <laughs> congestion, and other topics that have nothing to do with tabletop gaming. I swear our topic this week isn't on off topic again. <laughs> It is not. It is not. Okay. All right. Fine. Let's get on topic. We're going to talk about reviews because I've heard a few things. People are always wanting to... uh, There's a lot of reviews are worthless or this reviewer is terrible or anyone can review a game. Then you have the critics and then you have the overall like ratings in general. And I'm just kind of curious to kind of talk out how useful are reviews and ratings in general. And then the new one, newest one, which is relatively controversial, is paid reviews. If someone pays someone to review their game, should we look at those reviewers with more skepticism than we would someone who is doing it just because they want to spend a lot of time not making any money? Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. So, first things, have you guys used game reviews to actually buy a game? I do. So... I occasionally do. A lot of the games I buy, I get through Kickstarter. So a lot of Kickstarters were sent, will send out like demo copies to reviewers and link those onto their Kickstarter. And I will peruse those. What about you, Fletcher? Um, I usually just go to like, Board Game Geek and I look at like some of the top rated games. And then maybe from there, like YouTube watch an actual play or something like that and just see what people have to say about it. So when you say top rated game, are you referring to the hotness list on the left? No, like the, how many stars like the game game has. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you're actually looking at, okay, let's rate these games and go down the list. Right. I've done that with like, I have actually have a, a quick link to the top 100 board game geek games and i'll go down the list occasionally and be like all right of the top 50 how many of these don't i own and should i own them and usually i find i probably shouldn't own them because they're not my kind of game which is another thing when you're looking at reviews is it really depends 
on the reviewer as to whether or not they're going to tell you that this is a game that you would like or not. I think that about made sense, right? Okay, you can't a nod. Bit. <laughs> a little bit. I'm yelling at Kitty. You've done 157 episodes. You should be better at this. I do what I want. <laughs> I got distracted by Board Game Geek's new look. I'm sorry. There is a new look. There is a new look. And it's so weird how many times they can update its look without actually fixing any of its weird formatting. Well, it is It is a, basically grown out of, I, I would guess, the same code from 20 years ago. Um, it does what it needs to do, and it does it okay in most cases. It's just not great on mobile yet. I think it's I not think- great on mobile, and it's so like there's just like all these little blue links. It's all tiny, tiny. I don't know. <laughs> all right, getting back on topic. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was gonna say is I I think I get a lot of my reviews, not like reviews, but like recommendations from you guys, which is kind of like the best kind of review or recommendation because the best thing is like if someone knows you well, they can just be like. You know, you like these types of games. This is typically how you play. You, sh- you know, I recommend this game for you, right? It's like a personal shopper for games. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would agree. Most of the time, I don't know. So recommendations is a tricky one because I will occasionally get a personal recommendation from somebody, but oftentimes I'm the one that knows about more games, so I'm the one giving those recommendations. But the type of things that will trigger me to buy a game aren't necessarily reviews. Oftentimes, they're descriptions of games that other people have played on podcasts. Um, the Dice Tower does this. Like the first, I don't know, 15, tw- well, probably 20, 30 minutes of the episode is them describing a game, describing games that they've played. And if it sounds like an interesting description of that game, whether they liked it or not, I will oftentimes just kind of go and say, okay, I, this is on my to-buy list. If they like it, it's even likelier to go higher on that list. Um, I guess, actually, for the Dice Tower, if they don't like it, I will dismiss it. So maybe that is more of a review than anything else. And I just like what they like. So if they're recommending something, I'll get it. And if they don't recommend it, then I'm like, okay, not going to waste my time. Too many games. I don't need to worry about that. That's what a review is. (laughs) Well, it's also very dangerous. Well, sure. But it's also very dangerous, though, right? Because... If, say, for example, Tom Vassell decides that he doesn't like something, like he's the most influential reviewer on the internet when it comes to board games, if he doesn't like something, that game will not do well. It, like, you can, publishers have mentioned being able to watch their sales just stop with getting a bad review from him. And there are other reviewers that will adamantly disagree with some of the things that he says, and it doesn't matter because. Right. The, I mean, that's like any anything else, like video game or book reviews or even movie reviews. Like you look at top critics, and you know people might disagree, but like if the top critics say like, "No, this is not a great movie," it'll tank, even though I might think it's a great movie. Like Contact, I love that movie, but a lot of reviewers didn't like it. Well, those reviewers were wrong because it is a great movie. I've never seen it. This what? is a weird moment for me. <laughs> like I'm the one it's- who doesn't understand the pop culture reference. It is a great movie, but Jodie Foster, it, Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. look it up. And what's the other? What's the leading man? He's a bit. He's a big person too. Uh, I forget. We are really bad at staying on topic here. But Gutenberg. No. <laughs> stop googling things. You can't stop me. I have my own computer. <laughs> so, but I, I do think that reviews have an issue of being. David Morse is not a famous person. <laughs> Are you done I'm Googling? sorry. I'm determined to <laughs> take this off topic. Matthew McConaughey. That's, That's the person I was thinking of. What? That's so weird. I like how you read so every other the... unfamous name and skipped over He's Matthew He's so far down. He's like 10 down on my list here. It's so weird. All right. Turn off the internet. All right. I'm sitting on my hands. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Reviews. Okay, so I think that good reviewers a lot of times will couch their reviews. If it's something that they didn't like, they'll often give statements like, I did not enjoy this because I personally don't like Take That Games. But for what it is, these are the positives about it. And I think that as long as you're 
being careful and knowing how much your reviews can affect sales of games, even if it's not something you personally liked, I think you can still put in these statements that are like, you know, you can, you know, create a compliment sandwich. What is it? You know, like you can yeah. say the negative things and positive things as well. And, you know, it's, it's very rare that somebody comes out and says like, this game was garbage and there was nothing good about it. And if they are coming out and saying that, you should probably be confident enough that most people are going to agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually like the mechanics on this game are broken or like this just doesn't make any sense and the game is unplayable. It should really come with, yeah, an explanation as to why you don't like that game. Because, you know, going back to movie reviews, I like a lot of movies that critics do not like. In fact, there's a lot of, you know, if you look at the user ratings versus critic ratings. It is. It is. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, the user versus the critic... Oftentimes, they can be very, very different from each other. Users, you know, or the you know general viewers really enjoyed the movie, where the critics did not. And they're looking at different things than, you know, your general audience is. And I think that can carry over to game reviews as well. If somebody really, really likes, you know, tactical miniature games, and then you give them a Euro game, they're not going to like that game. They're going to say... You know, this game's horrible, it's so slow, it's so boring, there's no interaction, there's no whatever, you know, however the complaints. So a responsible reviewer will tend to not review the games that they know they're already predisposed to dislike, because it's, it's sort of tainted. But it also taints in the other way, where now they're reviewing games that they know that they're predisposed to like, so that reviewer is always going to be liking the same things, which I don't think there's a problem with, because... Say I really like what Z Garcia likes. And if I watch his reviews and he gets a good review to something, I know I'm going to like that game too because the last eight games he's recommended, I like as well. So I have a better chance of being like in sync with him. And if he says he doesn't like a game, it actually is less useful for me because I'm like, okay, um, I mean, that's I, I won't get it, but now I don't have a game to buy because I didn't see something that he didn't like something. I'm probably not going to like something. So this week I don't buy a game. Yeah, a lot I mean, of people don't buy a game a week. <laughs> shh, quiet. I have a problem. There's a. We know. I haven't seen. I mean, I'm more well versed in like the video game review kind of sphere, but some a, a lot of the better video game review places, like the person reviewing the game, is typically going to be a fan of that genre or a fan of that series to cast it in the most positive light. Um, and then they might also have like a blurb about a, another person's take who's not necessarily a fan of that genre or series to kind of like give you another take on it. Like, oh, I, I really like, you know, you know, this God of War series. So I, you know, you're pretty much going to like this game. Um, and then they have someone else that's like not well versed in it and ha- hasn't played a bunch of the games. And, you know, you'll, they'll get, you'll get their take as well. Um, I don't know if any of the other game review sites do that or if it's just always like the same person reviewing every game because everybody has a favorite kind of like genre or type of game they like to play. Yeah, and I think in board game reviews, we tend to see the single reviewer point of view. There are some reviewers out there, they'll they'll play a game as a group, like, you know, there'll be three or four people and they play the game and then they will talk about the game and whether or not they liked it from their different perspectives. And I kind of like that because... That way, one person in the group can really hate it, and the other three can like defend the game and the reason why they don't think it's such a bad game. Yeah, I really enjoy that format. I think um, the Dice Tower especially does a really good job. Not you know just saying that because we're part of their network, but you know they have a lot of different personalities that come and give voice to different opinions there. Whereas a lot of single reviewers, you're just getting one perspective, and I feel like a lot of these single reviewers are playing it against themselves. They're, you know, playing for multiple people. I know um, Rado just does, you know, he plays for two players. And I don't know if that's all how he plays the game or if it's just how he films playing the game. But that's what you see. And I feel like you don't get as varied opinions that way. Yeah, well, Rado's interesting because even though when he's filming it, he does play for two players, he does play it with his wife beforehand. And he specifically said they do not like take that kind of games. They don't like it when you can build something up and then the other person can destroy it. So he will typically just not review those games at all. Or if it's in there, he will say, it's not for me because it has this element. Um, but he also, one of the things that he 
says he regrets most out of when doing what he does because he does run throughs. He basically plays the game, and then at the very end, he will make talk about his feelings of the game. He's like, I wish I never did that. I wish the very first game I ever played, I just played through the game and then ended so that I didn't have to give my opinion. Like his whole thing is don't take my opinion. Watch the game being played. I talk out the rules. I'm I'm playing the game. If it's something that it looks interesting to you, then that's the important part of the review. The last 10 or 15 minutes where he's talking and giving his opinions, that's the least important part from his perspective. And I would agree that watching a game being played is a better, gives you a better sense of the game itself, but it takes so much longer than just giving, having someone talk for five minutes and saying, this game was great. And I loved it because it had great blah, 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 blah. So I think there's like, I would never buy a game only based on a review. I like take Hmm. a review as a part of what I do, but I also watch somebody play it. I like to demo again. I like to ask my friends if anyone already has it, what their opinions are. It, it's like part of my process, maybe, but it's not. I don't ever hear somebody say like, "I liked this game, so they liked it. I'll like it. I'm going to buy it." Yeah. I like to at least like know, do my research. It's a starting. I don't point. know. Yeah, it's a starting point, and it's a valuable point. It's a definite part of the process. But it is not the entire process. And I think that this might be because most of the things I get, I either get um, at conventions or I buy through Kickstarter. So I feel like I'm seeing the product in person. I'm, you know, making like an impulse purchase or I'm doing a lot of research. I'm watching all the videos, everything that's available through the Kickstarter because a Kickstarter can be so risky. You know, it's interesting that you say it's a starting point because as you guys were talking, I'm like, huh, to me, it's actually an ending point. Because I think that when you say that, you know, you wouldn't buy a game based on a review, I 100% agree with that. Because I typically don't go and just watch random reviews of a game that I haven't heard about before. So if I see something on Kickstarter, I see it has cool art, it has a ton of minis, it has, it basically looks like a game I would want to play. And then if I watch reviews of it, those reviews can stop me from wanting to buy the game. But they typically, if I'm already to the point where I'm watching the review, I'm already on the edge to buy the game. So the review is really just, are you going to stop me from buying it? And that's, I don't know, that's just kind of it. Now, I will say there's a few reviewers that I will watch just purely for entertainment value. And sometimes they can lead me to a game that I didn't know existed before. But it's it's relatively rare that I don't know the game if I'm watching a review for it. Um, those reviewers, the the two I really like is no pun included, very uh, British humor. They're also super super critical for all the games that they review, but they're great reviewers. But they and they have a awesome humor, at least humor I like. And then another one I I found accidentally late one night was Inside the Box, which started out as kind of a review, but it's turned into more of like skit comedy where they pick a game to play and then the episode is them like being sucked into the game in real life which i find hilarious they're good it's also probably r-rated in most cases or at least pg-13 but i don't know i could also watch rodney smith and watch it played i can watch his stuff without knowing the game because he does just a really good presentation so i'm like sometimes i'll just watch that because i'm i'm entertained by it so what do we think about like the hype of a game is that a form of review? Like, It's not a form if of review. It's a form of patient. But if a game's hyped, if you're hearing a lot about a game, is that something that's going to cause you to seek out reviews? Or is it something that would just like, you know, I've heard so much about this particular game. I just need to go buy it because I've um, you know, everybody's talking about it. I think it would be... It would cause me to seek out reviews because it's like people are excited about this thing. Maybe I should get excited about it too. I don't know. Like lots of time, it's like, oh, there's a hi- there's a lot of hype for a roll and move. I'm just like, yeah, I'm probably not super interested in this. Um, but if it's like you know, Gloomhaven two or something like that, it's like, yeah, I'm probably <laughs> going to be really interested in that. Like founders of Gloomhaven, which everyone was super interested in until they started seeing the reviews, and then suddenly people were not nearly as interested anymore. Which is sad because I still own it and I want to play it. But the reviews for that game have been so bad that, that I'm like, 
No, this is this is a Euro game based in the same universe, but it's a completely different game. Oh. So it it followed off of Gloomhaven and it's a tile placement city building game. You're basically building Gloomhaven. Uh-huh. And it's it is apparently not as much fun as Gloomhaven is, but it sold a lot of copies because it had the name Gloomhaven in it. But as soon as people started playing it and the reviews started coming in, it didn't do so well. They, so in, in that case, it's... Did they license the name and everything? No, it's him. It's the same designer. Oh, it's the same guy. Okay. Yeah. He just made a crappy game. Yes. Oh, well. So he's made three games so far. The first one was super, super heavy. It's I think it's called Forge something or Warf- something like where basically you're building, you're making equipment... Uh, for fantasy heroes that are fighting a war. And then Gloomhaven, and then Founders of Gloomhaven. And Gloomhaven did really, really well. The other two, not as much. But I think that that one is interesting because, like I say, I would have bought it and played it without hesitation had I just ignored all the reviews of it. If I had not seen any reviews whatsoever, the game would actually be opened and played at this point. And I would have made up my own mind. Which is another problem with reviews. Oftentimes, they can taint how you see the game after you've played it. You know, if your particular reviewer says, oh, I really liked this aspect and this aspect, but this aspect was really weak. You are going to go in and you are likely going to have either a very similar response because you're predisposed to it, or you're going to have the opposite response because you are bound to prove the reviewer wrong. And it's like, no, 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 that's this isn't a problem. The reviewer was wrong. Right. But hopefully, like, reviewers aren't just like, you know, Joe Schmoes, right? These are like, people with refined taste and like good editing (laughs) and you know like nuanced uh, opinions right like otherwise everybody would just be like buying their own stuff or everybody would just be like looking at you know joe schmo's blog like like random blogs across the internet because everybody's opinion is the same when really like not everybody's opinion is the same we trust some opinions more than others so i will agree with you for like I would say the tier one reviewers, I agree, are kind of like that. The Board Game Geek reviewers, though, because anyone can just, you know, write a review on Board Game Geek, that isn't so you're you're really not sure what you're getting there. Right. That's just like an Amazon review for a product, right? Like Yeah. Like I can't, and that, like, in that like, case like, you're like playing the broken. numbers. Yeah. Like so with Board Game Geek, you know, you I trust on Board Game Geek a game that has like you know, hundreds of reviews, much more than a game that is rated by two or three people. Because with a regular person's opinion, I feel like, you know, if everyone is having similar opinions, then that they're right. You know, they're going to come to some sort of consensus. But if it's just a few people, they, you don't really have any information on what it is. It's and, not a big enough sample you know, size. Yeah. Yeah, well, Board Game Geek has three levels of reviews. So you can rate it, just give it a star rating. So a no comment star rating. You can give it a commented star rating, and you can actually see all of... So if you rate anything, you put a comment on there, people can read those comments. Or you can write a review in the review forum, and those tend to be more of a long-form read that are kind of deeper dives. And I actually find those quite valuable, because a lot of times those reviewers will really kind of think things out, but sometimes I will fall into the trap of, okay, you got me. This is good writing. I'm interested in this. And all of a sudden, they throw out an opinion that I may form a different opinion of. But oops, my opinion's already been formed because you've already convinced me that you're a credible source. And now my opinion is what it is. And I've seen that it happens a lot with games that have asymmetric or potentially unbalanced uh, victory conditions. So here, this is the way you should win the game. This is the best choice. You know, when reviewers write that in there, it's like, this isn't a very good game because every time we played, we just, everyone was just raced to get this particular card. And that was, you know, that's really the strategy. So Fletcher, you're talking about your, the game that, you know, Carmen likes where you just get that card. And once you have that card, you know, that's, you, you're going to win the game. Yeah. If you were to put that in a review, I would assume that that game is broken. Because you see this as a broken thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe that card isn't as overpowered as you think. It's just the group you're playing with allows it to be that overpowered. And so, again, it's kind of dangerous because if you if you trust these reviewers too much, and it's kind of hard not to sometimes because you're reading them, you become invested in them, bad things can happen. 
I mean, not terrible things, I guess, but you may pass on a game that you might other, otherwise very like, very much like. I don't know. I feel so, like that's just kind of like life, right? Like you go through life bumping into things, changing your opinions, like getting influenced by people and other ideas. Like I don't like you can put yourself in a Faraday cage and just have things shipped to you, and then you know, scrawl <laughs> on your own little toilet pad of paper, and then send it off to the world about what you think. But like, life doesn't so, work that way. Sure, but does that make a critic? I so mean, anybody can t- be a critic, but does ex- do, you, do people oh, listen to you? Right. So, but let's let's follow that through, though. So, I want to be a reviewer of games, and in order for me to review a game and be as unbiased as possible, is it best that I just play the game and come up with my own opinion, or should I also look at other people's opinions and then add my own to that and then write a review there? Like. What is better? Is it better to have these other inputs or, you know, should I just be my own? Define my own better. Opinion? What is more valuable? More valuable to someone who's reading that review? Um, I would say that probably the more thing that's valuable to somebody reading is people who have, you know, played the games and have like a well thought out opinion. But I mean, it seems like what you're saying is that you don't, you almost don't even want to know their opinion. You just want to play the game and form your own opinion which is valid, but not helpful for people who don't have an unlimited bank account and don't have the time to like play every game <laughs> and form opinions of their, you know, by themselves. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so I go ahead. I, I, yes, but I think what I might be getting at is you can show a game. You can present a game without presenting your opinion for the game. And the example I would point to more than anything else is Watch It Played. He presents the game as the rule book is written. And in a lot of cases, the script is generated from the rule book in the same order and everything. He shows you how to play the game the way the rule book teaches you how to play the game. And so it's like watching an actual play with with no well, commentary almost. But it's but it's not because it's it's like watching a video rule book. Like he's literally going through the rules. He's not playing the game. And although Watch It Played originally started out with them going through the rules and then playing the game, he no longer does that. Mostly he just does rules. But in doing that, I don't know his opinion. I don't know if he likes the game or doesn't like the game. All I know is what he presented. And if I think that that is an interesting game that was presented, like reading the rule book before playing the game, this is something that's valuable to me. Now, is Watch It Played a review site? I don't know. But it is valuable when trying to decide to p- to buy a game. Yeah, I think it's not a review site, though. I yeah. think he would say it's not a review site. I don't think he presents reviews. But in a way, you can kind of figure out his opinions in one way, which is he doesn't make nearly as much content as some other people. If he is choosing a game, it usually means that it is something that he likes, <laughs> is kind of what I've noticed because there are some really good and popular games out there that do not have watch it plays. Yes. So let's actually segue into something because what you just said was right up until last year and same thing for Rado. So Rodney Smith of watch it played and um, Richard ham of Rado runs through both of them did like Patreons. And so that's how they funded themselves. They would do a Patreon and that would fund them for the year. Well, Last year, Rado stopped doing his Patreon because he, or not Patreon, uh, Kickstarters. Uh, Rado stopped doing his Patreon and started doing Kickstarter. Other way, stopped doing his Kickstarter, started doing Patreon. And he now does paid reviews because he used to do Kickstarter reviews for free. If someone said, hey, will you review my game? He's like, send me the rule book. I'll read over the rules. If it's something that, look, that looks interesting to me, I'll I'll do a I'll watch it played on there. Now he does it. He It's a pay thing. So he's like, send me the rule book. If I think it's interesting, I'll do a run through on it. And it costs this much. He says that he still only reviews games that he thinks he will like. He doesn't review games just because someone's willing to pay him. If he doesn't want to play it, he's still not going to play it. But there's a portion of the audience, um, I am not included in that portion, that take him less, take his opinions on games less seriously now that he's actually getting paid to do them. And I personally find that absurd because, you know, he's been doing this for a decade now. Why do we suddenly not trust him because he's getting money for something? And he's he has the same opinions. He's like, I like this, this, and this, and I don't like this, and I wish they would do that. Rodney Smith 
uh, he did uh, teamed up with Board Game Geek. And so now he does a whole lot more watch it plays, like a whole lot more instructional videos because he's doing it with Board Game Geek. And almost everything he does is sponsored. And he doesn't do his Kickstarter anymore. He just does sponsored game previews. That one's a little bit more um, accepted because he's not putting his opinion on it. He's simply just presenting the game and how to play it. But what he presents does have an effect on how well a game is going to do because people will watch his channel to say, hey, is this a game I should play or not? And if it's presented there, it becomes something that people consider, even though nobody knows whether or not he likes the game or not. So what do you guys think about paid reviews? Like, is this, should reviewers not get paid to do reviews? Mm, I mean, they shouldn't get paid by the company that is, like, they shouldn't get paid by the company that is giving them the thing to review, in my opinion. It changes the power dynamic, and it changes who the customer is. I think think it's tricky, (laughs) because I get where Fletcher's coming from with that, but, you know, what they're paying for is not for a good review. What they're paying for is their time. You know, they're busy. They have a lot on their plate, and if you want them to spend the time and energy to focus on your game, to review it, to give it the necessary energy and resources that it takes to put out a review, especially a quality review, I think it's fine to give them a free copy of the game. And like, there's a set price of like, this is my time that you're paying for. I will say what I'm going to say. But even like to get a negative review from a popular site like that can still get the name of the game out there in the world. And for some companies, it's going to be worth that risk. Yeah, I will say that it is probably more likely that people who are getting paid reviews, if they play a game and decide that they just cannot say good things about it, they'll usually go back to the designer or publisher or whoever and say, I can do a review for you, but it's going to be bad. Do you still want me to do this review? And they're going to say no. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Right. eh. Probably not that, though. Because it's still the time has been put in. I don't know if that is, I mean, I guess it's fine, but it, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things. There's there's already an outlet for that, right? It's called advertising, right? You can buy ad space on websites. And but people well, don't really advertise games like that. Yeah. I mean, there's banner ads on BoardGameGeek, but that's really the extent of advertising outside of your you know reviewers, your YouTube reviewers. Um, it used to be BGG reviewers, but now it's just almost all YouTube reviewers. Right. So, I mean, they... All I can think about is like the restaurant industry, right? Like how the restaurant industry and how reviewers work for the restaurant industry is that a reviewer comes in, they pay for the meal, and then they review the restaurant. They don't come in and get a free meal and then write like a good or bad review. I think it depends on the reviewer. A lot yeah, of most like, review most reviewers get free meals. They get free meals and a lot of restaurants will like request reviewers come to them and they like work with the publications to get them there and make deals and you get like reservations for restaurants that you can't get reservations on like there are perks to it and i you're usually it's true not paying someone directly but that's because they're usually working for a publication that's paying them and there are not really publications out there that pay for game reviews like this it's it's a different kind of industry right it's just it's a different kind of industry, but it's the same kind of service. Yeah, but I mean, the restaurant service, I would say many critics, they do get their meals for free. Now, they may not intentionally get it or always get it free from the restaurant. Like if the restaurant, if it's a blind critic, um, the restaurant may not even know. But if the restaurant knows that a particular critic is eating at their restaurant, and I'm pretty sure the high-end critics and restaurants know each other, not only will that meal be free, but it'll also be exceptional compared to what the average person's getting. So they're not even reviewing the same service that other people are getting. Now, I don't know that that happens in the board game side. Like, Man vs. Meeple, um, this is... They started with the sole intent of being paid reviewers. They will... they Everything they do, they get paid for, and they don't advertise it all that much. Um, I'm, I'm certain it's somewhere on there, but... You know, they set up a set, they set up a business around doing paid reviews so that companies could get the name out there 
They're very, very well produced. And when people watch it, they get a feeling for this is how the game plays. And then they'll give their opinion as well. But mostly they're focusing on this is how the game plays. This is what you can do. This is what we like about it. And they're, they have a positive spin for sure. But they also give you enough information about the game where you can make up your own opinion. I don't actually see this as a problem. And I'm glad they exist because I can watch them. And regardless of why they're doing it, whether they're getting paid for it or not, I still get to see more of a game and a better presentation of a game than someone from their you know, basement that might be filming reviews and not getting paid for it, but it's still not that valuable to me because this person's opinion may not sync up with my own anyway, and just the quality of the review isn't high enough for me to get like any any real feedback or in like a feeling of whether or not this is a game I would enjoy playing or not, because it's just this random person talking about this game, but they're doing it for free. So they're more legit. I I don't know. I don't think that that's actually true. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, it may or may not be true, but like, I am going to disagree with you when you say many reviewers get their meals for free, because I'm pretty sure that is not true. Most high end reviewers like pay for their meals. That's how they keep their integrity and they get reimbursed by, whatever publication they work they're for. getting paid by someone they're not they're paying paid, for the meal out of pocket and but like, they, but but it, there's a difference though right there is a difference one is like the restaurant is saying like we're giving you this meal for free and the i other, do think that does happen but not in high end I, i'm not be that. Sure. like it may happen from time to time but like either you're unknown and you're paying for your meal or your high end and your integrity is more important to you. So you're also not paying for your meal. Can't say I'm not on in touch with the food industry. <laughs> so if there is a food critic that's listening it. to us, yeah, solve this. But I will say that most game reviewers, um, well, successful game reviewers, such as the Dice Tower and Rado and um, No Pun Included, all those, they are definitely not paying for the games they're reviewing. Usually. They're getting yeah. sent free games to review, right? And that happens in the video game industry too. They get sent a f- they get sent a review copy, which then they will like send back. But they're not being paid to review the game. It's here is a free game, review this, but not here. Here is the game for free and money. Yeah, and I think that this really that's comes almost like a bribe from right. Like hey. Like, oh, look at this game. Open it up. Oh, there's dollar bills inside. How do you like the game now? I think that's <laughs> only true if it comes with the expectation of a good review. Yes. And as long I as these people agree. are still giving, you know, critical good reviews, then I don't think it's... I mean, like, it's hard because I would rather they not get paid by the companies but at the same time, if you want to put the level of production in, there's not a publication out there that's going to pay you. Like, you know, and a lot of people who are listening to the reviews don't want to pay for them. They want them to stay free. So, where is the money coming from? Like, where should it be coming from? It's a tough question to answer. And I think as long as, you know, they really are still giving quality reviews, why not? And if they're not giving quality reviews anymore, Companies aren't going to go to them anymore. They're not going to pay them. And the problem will solve itself. <laughs> yeah, the companies won't go to them anymore and won't pay them anymore because they're not getting good reviews. Like, that's part of the problem. And like, no, they like if they it. give only good reviews, the audience is going to turn from them and no one's going to see it anymore. Well, I mean... Like, ho- if you know, so- like, oh, I get paid to say nice things about games, so all I say is nice things, nobody's going to want that review. But no one's going to trust them anymore. Trust is such an important part of the review process. And if they lose the trust, then no one's going to pay them for the service anymore. Like, sure. But how many, like, actual bad and negative reviews do these people put out? And they're probably, like, reviewing, like, better games, right? So they usually just put out, like, okay to, like, good reviews. They're not putting out bad reviews. And this is how they can kind of, like, couch their trust and say, like, well, I'm not going to review a game that I think is bad. So that's why you don't see any bad things out there because they're saying, well, I'm not going to accept the money if I don't if I don't think this game is good. So essentially what it is, is like advertising couched Mm -hmm. like it's it's advertising with a review like stuck on it. And I think a lot of these. Yeah, I think a lot of these review sites, it 
it crosses a fine line between like, is this advertising? Is this really a review? There, a lot of times people aren't giving it like stars well, if, if they're or paying for it, it's thumbs up. Advertising. Yeah, but like you know, uh, let's look. But is there well, a who problem is a, with advertising? Yeah. There's not a problem with advertising, but you it 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 almost needs like a new format, right? And it's like an advertising review because the consumer doesn't want to watch an ad for a video for not a video game for a board game, a straight up ad for that. Someone just talk about it for like ten minutes. That's not inter- that's not entertaining for the viewer or the reader. So what did they do? They need to add a review on top of it. So it's like, I'm going to review this game. That's the entertainment. And that's why I'm going to come and listen or watch your video. Now, on the other side, there's the publisher of the game. They want eyeballs and exposure. So they want to pay for advertising. And where they meet in the middle is like, I'm going to pay you to review this game. And I think that's essentially what's happening. So it's a combination advertisement and review. So it's maybe for some of the big reviewers, the fact that those reviewers reviewed the game is putting more eyes on the game. But for some of the smaller reviewers, that may not be so much the case. It may just be that a publisher is trying to get people to talk about their game. And there's, you know, 10,000 games a year released. Why would I talk about your game versus this other game unless there was a reason for me to do it? And a financial reason is as good a reason as any. There's a lot of work that goes into these things. That sounds, that sounds like payola in the radio industry. It's like paying for plays. That's called payola. Like, how do you get people excited for it? Oh, put this record on repeat. Sure. That's advertising. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But- and I think as long as it's disclosed, as long as they're not lying about it. So? Yeah. I mean, everyone knows inv- that, like, pop artists all get paid. Like, everyone goes on Not in the like, radio industry. B96 and kiss no you don't all pay right. for plays it's let illegal. me ask a let me ask a different question does it matter if a reviewer is useful they're telling you what you need to know to play the game they're showing you how to play the game and they're giving you their opinion whether it's tainted or not does it matter they're telling you that this is a paid review take what i say with a grain of salt i like this game because of this this and this and i didn't really like this aspect of it does that is that review less valuable than someone who does the exact same thing but isn't getting paid for it? Yeah, it is. Why? Because they got paid to review the game by the publisher. But how are you getting less information out of it? You're probably getting more information out of it because they can afford to spend more time looking at that game. Because I don't know if I can trust their opinion 100% because of... But why does it, why does it matter, though? Because we've, we've talked about the fact that a critic, what you're really looking for in a reviewer is someone who has like, basically like tastes to you. And it's very, very obvious very quickly when you're following a reviewer and all of a sudden they like a game that they didn't like before. They're not going to risk like tainting their opinion. Let me ask you a question. Because their whole Chris, livelihood is on that. Would you take medical advice from a doctor that got paid by, by a specific pharmaceutical company or a doctor that went out and did their oh, research? Oh, you mean. Every doctor. You mean every doctor? Not- yeah. <laughs> Almost all doctors get like perks from pharmaceutical companies for recommending their medications. Yeah. That's just how the industry works. Right. You don't know it. You don't know it because they don't advertise it. But, but look, yes, that's what the pharmaceutical salesmen do. I'm saying like direct payments for this, right? There's a difference between the two. Would you take. I think it's hard because one of them is, you know, science and one is opinion. And if you're paying for somebody to lie, it's it's a bad analogy. It is a bad analogy because you're talking one. So we're talking about entertainment, like a movie critics that, you know, I like this movie, don't like that movie, whatever. What's the worst that happens? You find out that you don't trust this critic, so you don't listen to him anymore. Like that's the worst that it can happen. So for board game reviews, if someone isn't honest, if they're not going to give you their honest opinion and you can't trust this person, they're not going to be reviewing games. So that the fact that their livelihood is on the line, honestly, I think that that's more valuable for those people that are getting paid to do this because they get to spend the time in it. They're not like they can't taint everything. They are more likely to not review a game they don't like, which is fine. I don't care about the games they don't like. I'm looking for the games that I should buy, not the ones that I shouldn't. So I don't mind that the bad reviews get brushed under the rug. You're presupposing that the other people don't get paid 
And they probably do get paid, what? but not by the publisher. No, 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 no. A lot of people Most... out there who are reviewing are making no money doing it. Yeah. They're probably even not even in the game for free. It's just they enjoy going out and, and doing it. And and that's how a lot of these people started. Tom mm-hmm. Vassell started by writing reviews on Board Game Geek. The first time someone sent him a game to review, he's like, what, I get a free game for this? That's crazy. And even then, he felt like, oh, I mean, should I give him a good review because they gave me a free game? You know, it doesn't matter the level of payment. Even if somebody like a publisher comes and asks you, hey, I, I can't give you a free game because that would be, you know, I don't want people to not trust you, but could you review my game? That personal interaction is going to taint the way that you look at that game because you don't want to give a bad review to someone who's just trying to get their game out there. There's all all kinds of levels out there. I just think you pay reviewers, you're going to get better reviews. You're going to get better quality reviews if they can actually dedicate time at it i don't agree with that (laughs) i still think it's a you know as long as somebody's disclosing whether or not they get paid by publishers for reviews and as long as you still trust them it's not a problem if you lose trust in them then stop watching stop listening stop giving them your time and your views and you know the publishers won't pay them anymore and they'll learn that's the only way that it works i think and yeah. yeah, it would be great if they didn't have to do this. If there was some, you know, like board game publication out there that would pay reviewers that they could keep it third party, that publishers didn't have to do this to get reviewers to pay attention to their games. I think that would probably be a better system. But this is the system we're in. So, well, how would that third party publisher make money? They would like sell a product like a magazine, but that doesn't exist because right. print or is dead. Advertising. Website advertising of the people who are paying them to do reviews like right. no matter yeah, what it, it eventually it's comes around connection though it's not it's different like it yeah is, like so, so if you're a restaurant reviewer and you also you know you're writing your review for a newspaper that runs advertisements of that restaurant people know the difference between the review and the ad it's it's a different thing. They're going to come across differently. It is different. And the trust level is completely different of a paid advertisement slot and what that looks like versus a review and what that looks like. But now so I- the lines are blurred in our industry because there isn't a big publication that everyone is paying that advertisers want to put their advertisements in that will then pay a reviewer and keep that separated. There, there becomes a middleman of... But it'll They're never be the separate. And- that, that's yes. the thing. It can never it can never be separate. If you have gamereviews.com and gamereviews.com is supported by advertisers advertisements from publishers, and the reviewers on there are reviewing games of those publishers, and a reviewer totally it is trashes the job. that of that advertiser might pull their advertising. That's exactly. true. But that is the job of the site is to manage so, that connection. Right. So now we're saying we should trust the site to manage that. Why can't we trust the individual reviewer to manage that? I said we That's could. I, right. I, I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is... I'm saying it's I'm harder. That- it's harder for like individual to like manage that relationship as opposed to like, I don't- a direct decoupled relationship. But if I am the editor of this site and I see someone writing a terrible review for a game of a sponsor that's giving me you know X thousands of dollars a month, I may not publish that review. Because that's going to jeopardize my sponsorship that I'm getting. It's okay. the exact same thing. It feels like you're making my point, <laughs> like, but with well, no. What I'm saying more is direct connection. No, what I'm saying is your solution still has the same problem. It's just that now it's a third party making this decision versus the person who's actually doing the review. The person right, whose credibility is actually on the line. No. Ah, wow. I, this should have been this the whole topic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think they were going to have to agree to disagree on this one because I have absolutely no problem with reviewers getting paid for reviews. I think that it's it's increased the quality of the reviews. It's increased the quantity of the number of games that are out there that I can now go to people that I like the way that they cover games. And I can see how that, you know, how that quality, that quantity and that quality has increased. So I like the fact that they're getting paid to do this. Um, you know, watch it played used to do like one a week and now he's able to do three or four or five a week because he's getting paid to do it. And the quality is not down. If anything, it's up. And I think that is a great thing. And I think that 
finally, you know, the people who are spending a lot of time and energy doing these things, they should get paid for it. It shouldn't be a free thing or a, you know, beg for money every year in Kickstarter so that I can keep doing the thing that I like doing that everyone is, you know, consuming for free. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me that we're okay not paying reviewers. It's, it's absurd. I'm not saying that they shouldn't get paid. I mean, you can't, How you can't do knock down that straw then? man that I'm saying, no, can't pay reviewers. That's, How do you I'm not pay them that. then? There's lots of different ways that you can pay them. I'm just saying I don't think that the publisher no. should pay them. G- tell me how they get paid. Sponsorships, like any other podcast on the planet, they get paid with sponsorships. Okay, so when I'm listening to a podcast and they're pushing Casper mattresses and telling me it's the best night's sleep they've ever had, I... That's that's okay. Yeah, they're also not reviewing Casper mattresses, though. Like, yes, they are. When you listen to the advertising, my wife and I bought a Casper but, mattress, and we've never slept better. But it's not. It's not a. So think of it this way: you can you can run a review for like Game A and be sponsored by Publisher B, right? Okay, but why is Publisher B sponsoring you? Because they get because they get mentioned, just like. No, when but, you listen to a podcast, that's, you're not. I'm not listening to mattress talk when I hear when I hear ads for Casper mattresses, right? But what but what you're saying is publisher B can never have a game reviewed by the person they're sponsoring. So why would publisher B want to sponsor that person? So I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to agree to disagree for real this time. And I'm not saying that you're knocking down another can... <laughs> straw man that I didn't say. You can have different sponsorships at different time. It's a solved problem. I know. You, that... Yeah. All right. We can take this to Patreon only content, but we need to wrap up the episode because I want to go to bed. I'll let you two knock it out the way we did with um, Kickstarter. <laughs> All right. Well, we have. A slight change of subject, I think. Hopefully a big change of subject. Um, Patrick, thank you for writing us so that we could switch our subjects to Patrick Foster. He asks us, um, back in so our listener mail section here. <laughs> what are your thoughts on app-assisted games? I.e. Mansions of Madness, Chronicles of Crime, Detective, Journeys in Middle Earth. I know there are pros and cons, but are you personally excited or turned off when you hear a game would be app-assisted? I don't know. What do you guys think, Kitty? No opinion does not change one way or the other. I'm not excited or unexcited by an app. So no problems whatsoever. As long as the app works, like, you know, it, it's just a it's a game piece at that point to me. And as long as it works the way it's supposed to, great. But if it's broken, it's just like any other broken piece in a game, except maybe they'll have a chance to fix it without me having to go out and buy another piece. Fair enough. Fletcher? Um, I've only played Manches of Madness, which is the app with the app app assisted like game piece, and I don't like that game, so I I feel like I'm tainted by that experience. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna say I don't like it, but I've only had like one bad experience with it. So I don't know. I guess I'm more open, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, for me, I. I'm probably more on the kitty side of things. So the first game I played that was app assisted was XCOM. And I really, really liked the way that worked. It was like a real time game where one person had the app and was calling out things that you would do. And the game would track what was going on. The difficulty would change. The event would change based on the app. And I thought that was um, a lot of fun. So maybe that's tainted me to the point where it's like, I, I'm fine trying out app stuff. Um, there are, you can go too far though. If you spend so much time looking at the app that the game is just in the app, then like, why don't you just make everything, just make it an app game as opposed to a board game. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with incorporating apps with our board games. Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone, like it's not a barrier to entry anymore. It's just a matter of how well you do it. Like Chronicles of Crime is fantastic. You couldn't do that without an app. Um, Detective is fantastic. You couldn't do that without an app. So there are games out there that, you know, they, they cross these digital boundaries and kind of mix the two. And I, I think that's, it's not a bad thing. Um, am I excited? Am I going to buy it because it's Apisys? And not necessarily. It still has to be a good game. Yeah. Um, my favorite use of app assisted is when it takes the place of the moderator. So, um, where words, I want to say did this, yep. where you don't have to have somebody who's purposely sitting out from the game anymore. You have an app that will do that for you. That seems to work better as far as these social deduction games that I'm like, meh, about <laughs> anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, and companion apps are cool too. I know like Seven Wonders can be tricky to score for some people, but there's a companion app where you just punch in all the cards and boom, there's your score. So that it just does all the scoring for you and things like that. Um, so, I mean, you don't want it to take away the fact that you know how to score work at all because it's hard to play a game if you don't know how you're getting points. Um, but I think apps can assist in other ways besides you know just playing the game for you as well. So and he, it's this is kind of a related question that he tacked on here. He's like, is there a cooperative miniature slash skirmish game that you're aware of? I know you like Underworld Shadespire, but is there a similar thing in co-op? And this goes back to the definition of what a miniatures game is more than anything else, because there are tons and tons and tons of co-op miniature games, Gloomhaven, Sword and Sorcery. Um, you know, we just talked about Mansions of Madness. Uh, second edition with the app does this, as so does Descent. Um, Wanderers, Cult of Barnacle Bay does this. Kingdom Death Monster is a miniatures skirmish game. That's a co-op game. So there's a lot of these out there. I think if you're looking for a cooperative experience, you're probably looking at story-based miniature games. Um, I don't know. Can you guys think of anything else? Nope. I'm not really into miniatures, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, Chris. All right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we did a contest a few weeks ago, and I meant to do a drawing last week, but we didn't actually have any entries, so I didn't have to do a drawing. Um, but since our patrons all get automatically entered in our contest. I did a drawing anyway. So Justin Willard, email me. Let me know if you want a $25 gift card to Amazon or Cool Stuff. And for the rest of you, when we do these contests, email us because apparently we uh, it's really easy to win if nobody enters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I would, it's, well, I was thinking of like doing a, like a story based topic episode in the future where you know this was the contest was essentially what are unique games from around different around the world different countries that are like you know hot in those countries and we didn't get anything specific about it um john thomas who brought this up in the first place he did send us a response um talking about how Cards Against Humanity is one of the biggest ones in, where is he from here? Um, I think Ireland, he said. And I think that's hilarious. Cards Against Humanity is, obviously, everyone's heard of it. But I, I'm pretty sure, John, didn't you write in and say that you weren't aware of Apples to Apples? So I guess Cards Against Humanity made it before Apples to Apples did. So I think that was funny. But All about the um, shock value. Yeah. But I think I want to do an episode in the near future and... So get your thinking caps on. Probably do something along the lines of like um, memorable game moments or something like that. I know we were, we attempted to do that last week, and we talked more about just what we find fun or not fun in games. But I would I would love to do like a listener input on tell us a quick story about one of your most memorable game moments and and why. So. Um, we will do a specific one maybe next week. I will give more details as to what that is, but start thinking about it now. And we will do a, certainly a decent giveaway for that since that'll be kind of like a mini essay type of thing. All right. So you can follow us on Facebook if you'd like at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Bomb. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can also give us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon or patron us on that. Um, <laughs> that's good enough for me. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Mintler, Stephen Stites, Michael All, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yankowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom. Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Christopher Vincent, Nate Fazlintham, Sean Peck, Eric Zelander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wilkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rexted, Ron Nelson, and Neil McLaughlin. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun.
I'm going to assume that Chris, you know, said his line, and now we're in our after the credits banter, but he was frozen, so we don't know. <laughs> hey, I saw everything you guys were doing. So you it always was totally do. Fine. <laughs> <laughs>